The Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning, this is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to Angela Costi about her new book, An Embroidery of Old Maps and New. Welcome, Angela. Thank you for having me, Di. I'm so pleased you can come on the show. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, it's great. And Angela, you also have a 3CR history. You used to be yeah. a part of a program. Yeah, the accent of women. I'm, I was trying to remember the exact dates, but it was definitely in the 90s. Yeah. It would have been around the mid-90s. Um, loved working here at 3CR. Had a great time. And I've also been on this program before, but a long time ago, 2014, with Peter Davies. Oh, yes. Great. Now, this is your second full-length collection, isn't yep. it? Yes. And um, and it's published by Spinifex Press. Yep. So how, how did you organise Spinifex Press? How did I organise it? I, I um, well, I'm going to be very open here. Um, it, the, the manuscript was... Um, I mean, it's been with me for a while and I've been revising it and revising it uh, over the years and just including new... I wasn't happy with it. (laughs) Um, At one point it was 150 pages and it was given to other publishers. Um, And then a really good friend of mine recommended Spinifex. She's a very close friend and a shout-out to Helena Spiru. And and I've known uh, Susan Hawthorne for many years, um, but I was a little bit... Uh, in awe of her and I thought oh it's so hard they've been around for 30 years and I and I know the poets that they publish and they're very well regarded Melinda Bobbis, um, Robin Rowland I mean it's fantastic poets and also Hua Pham whom I'm a fan of who's a novelist um, Geordie Alberston you know these are big names fantastic big names yeah. I didn't think I'd have a go but I was so surprised I got uh, a reply immediately saying, we really like what you're doing here. Um, Good. So that's how it – it's just I, – I think the lesson is give it a go. Yeah. And you just never know. Yeah. You'd be Con- quite quite surprised. Congratulations. Yes. Well, it is a, it is a really um, significant publisher and it is a beautiful book as well. And, um, and just before we start to look at some of the poems um, – so how long have you been writing poetry for? Uh, I would say, um, can I call it professionally or, or in a sense of for wanting to share it with the world? Um, I would say 1993. Okay. That was the year where I began writing poems to share because um, that year was pivotal in that I clearly remember going to the Perseverance Hotel and uh, Ken Smeaton, um, and it was during the Fringe, and uh, he came up to me and he said, you know, just keep going, keep going, of all people. He's great um, to have that bit of a, you know, um, encouragement. Um, before then it was a lot of just, in, you know, talking to various people at uni and just saying, I want to write, I want to write, and um, some of the people that remember me say, you always wanted to, to write, so it's great to see that you're doing it. Yes, and it sometimes... Just pushing oneself 
pushing the pen into one's hand or pushing oneself in front of a computer is all it takes. That's right. And it was 94 that I began uh, getting my poems published and um, AMBR, the Australian Multicultural Book Review, Clarissa Stein, who's with us um, to this day, she barely remembers me, but she did publish several of my pieces Great. In that year. Oh, wonderful. Okay, well, let's go to the first poem. Um, which poem would you like to begin with? I'd like to. I'm really interested in what I'm thrilled about, Di, is that you've read the book. So I'd like you to guide me. You tell me okay. a poem. And right. so we'll have to preface it that it's cold readings in that I haven't rehearsed. But yeah. I find that really exciting. And then we can talk about the poem as well, if you like. Sure. Well, um, the first one that came up that I really liked was Landmines. Mm-hmm. So I won't, I won't bore the, the listeners with you know, everything about this poem, but I will say that what it's endeavouring to do here is the, um, explore the intersection with my body as a series of um, landmines and and the you know the landmines in the sense that we all know them as being connected to atrocities and horror and in terms of my body i have an interesting um rare um condition called multiple schwannomatosis and now having said that um i'm also aware that people do have tumors in their bodies um whether they're benign or malignant we live with them um so uh this isn't, hopefully this uh, poem doesn't come across as woe is me, but it's, yeah, it's exploring a couple of intersections. Landmines. She tiptoed through her body, carefully slid down the medulla to walk like a whisper. Each step made without an explosion brought a victor's muffled cry. She asked her doctor, what war did I incubate? Cyprus. Afghanistan, Korea, Cambodia, 40,000, 55,000, each country growing people without arms, legs, and still they continue to gather their wood by that roadside, go to school on the path with their new rubber foot. El Salvador, Vietnam, Angola, Syria, continue to work, marry, have children, cook with their elbow, write with their teeth. A schwannoma is built to blast with five trauma triggers. Activator, fuse, charge, a power source and a body. Don't step on a frayed nerve. She's told there are 12 She has made it to the thoracic without incident. If she goes further to the outlying grey swamp branch roots, they are there, hunched in anticipation. She knows their tactics. She's lucky her war is secret. She has her clothes to hide the scar that split her back to deactivate bomb 13, her stomach scar that cut the blast of bomb 14, She has planted warning signs. Must avoid the right side's peripheral nerves. Tonight, she will cook, read, go to bed and sleep only on her left. Yes, well, it's um, 
it's a wonderful marriage of images, the internal images and the external images and the sort of macrocosm, microcosm. Thank you. Yeah. It took a few revisions, um, but um, I enjoyed working on this poem and I like to be sort of ambitious sometimes, if that's the right word, but that feeling of let's explore something that I know is difficult to explore and let's explore those intersections that may not have been um, travelled by others. So if for some reason I've been given this rare condition, I'd like to explore it in a way that has perceives it in a way that has an external aspect to it, that that is more than just me, that the bigger picture, if you like. Yes, that's right. And at the same time, the secret war, you know, the scars that are hidden by clothes, the stomach scar that cut the blast of Bomb 14, I mean, they're, they're also, you know, something that's happening on a psychic level, I, su- mm. I suspect. So, so that's nice that that layer is there as well. Yeah, thank you. I like that you you found it an interesting poem and I do really enjoy it when people find ways to enter my poetry that I may not be conscious of because I think that's that's art in itself. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, it shows it's working on all these different levels. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll go to Heavy next. Okay. So Heavy has been published. So uh so there's 50 poems, over 30. I worked really hard to send them out to see what would happen with them. So I, I, so I, um, before I sent it through to Spinifex, I had some runs on the board with 33 of the 50 being published or accepted for publication. I felt that, and the order, I kept on changing the order, but I felt that this is the order, that, that there is a journey here. Um, so Heavy is in... Um, I like to acknowledge publishers, so Heavy's in the current issue of Hecate. And I think what we're exploring with Heavy is, one thing I do want to say is that the poem orbits around my heritage, and I think we all carry our heritage, our ancestors with us. And the poem is dedicated to all those women who have dealt with warlike situations and the cross-generational trauma that endures. Heavy. I can see how I carry Yaya's war in the ample dunes of my belly. The moment she smelt the guns, she pinched the candle's wick, gathered the startled shadows of her children, flung my baby mother onto her back and sprinted towards the neutral moon. That moment seeded my greed for savaged meat, for blankets of oil unfurled on potato and rice. My inheritance grew by mouthfuls. I feast on their hunger to make them proud. So does my mother. She was spared war, was given depression to carry in the nerve-threaded bowls of her thighs, arms and breasts. She reaches for the largesse of orchards, eats the orange without pause, staves off memories of dead fruit harvests, swallows the threat of scurvy and anemia like melomogarona for morning tea. Often our dinner table is dressed to please the gods, the saints, the prophets, all who listen to the onslaught of prayers before wars, between wars and after. Deep trenches are dug in my sister's stomach to hold the children 
as big as Flawuna. These are our uncles and aunties who teach her to savour the drahana. With each spoonful, she incubates their eternal cravings. Lovely. So tell me the story behind uh, the poem mm. about Yaya. What war was your grandmother? Yeah, what so war was she Yaya, escaping from? Yeah, Yaya was left uh, on her own with with five children for many, many years. One of those children was indeed my mum. It was the war that she was staving off, if you suppose. If you know, it, it was, there was civil unrest, and the war was the big one, the nineteen seventy four invasion. But before then, people don't know that the sixties involved a lot of civil t- turmoil in um, in Cyprus. So a lot of people were escaping imminent war. My Bapu, my grandfather, came here to try and, you know, the traditional migrant refugee story to try and save money to bring over his family. But it took him years, many, many, many years. And um, my mother and her youngest brother were left behind with their grandparents. So they were in the thick of things for a while. And my this this is about you know, the situation that I was told about through my mother as my grandfather, my grandmother's passed away, there were occasions where they had to fly, you know, to just grab the clothes that they had and leave the, you know, leave, um, I suppose, the the soup to boil, so to speak, and just run and, and flee the house because there were, there was lots of infighting as well. There were resistance fighters. There were many factions. It wasn't as I don't even like using those colours, black and white. Um, but there, it wasn't, you know, clear cut. Clear cut. Mm. Yeah, um, that it was, you know, the Turks uh, versus the Greeks. There were a lot of factions. There were a lot of guerrillas, if you like, and militia, and they all wanted certain things for Cyprus. And uh, you know, my father was adamant for hi- him as well. This is my mother's story, if you like. But my father's story is entwined because his village was taken. Um, and he he knew that if he didn't flee, he would be dead. So it's it's really an interesting space, Cyprus. Yes, there's a lot that can be said. But what I, I think what I'm trying to do with heavy here is the emotional truth is there, the situation that occurred to both my sides are there, the maternal and paternal. But it's also the stories of the women that. They told me candidly when I went to visit Cyprus and Greece in 1995. So I've got um, journal entries from there, and they've, in, you know, it's creative documentation. Yes, and and the food carries the history of the culture, but it's also, you know, represents like the hunger and the the need and um, and the cravings and you know is expressed through the through the appetite for the food yeah i mean there's um uh, i think i often find you know i i work with the double meaning often so yes, heavy right. has uh the title itself has a lot of connotations and 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 also as you you know i'm threading through that experience these um three uh cypriot cypriot greek foods and they are peasant food, and they were food very commonly, you know, fed during wartime. And it continues. You, you, we continue to eat them, even though they're um, 
you know, they're fillers, if you like. They, they're not the food that you would find at a gourmet restaurant. So. Yes, and just to translate to the three different foods of the Miller yes. Macarona. Yes, so what, what we've done on the page is that we've got um, – quite lovely, the translations sort of are on the second part in the second column. And Melamugarona is honey-soaked walnut-topped biscuit. Flawuna is the cheese-filled bread. And we're heading into uh, Greek Orthodox Easter – I think it's early May. It's the time of recording, yes. Yeah, so early May, uh, a lot of Cypriots will be eating flawuna. It's yummy, actually. And then drahana is a traditional Cypriot grain soup, the filler. It's um, yogurt. I think uh, you can, oh, my mum used to make it, not anymore, but um, uh, you, you dry the grain in the sun. And we used to have the these little, um, oh, this sort of cylinder-shaped or sphere-shaped dried grain on these blankets out in the sun in our backyard, drying for days. And then we would have it with a tomato base and then cut in little um, diced halloumi. Mm-hmm. And it was actually really yummy, but really filling, like porridge. Yeah. Oh, you know, well, I, you're making me want to find a Cypriot restaurant <laughs> and try all that out. Okay, let's go to Kostaki's Harvest Woes. Kostaki's Harvest Woes, yes. This is my version of a sonnet, I suppose. I think it's 14 lines from memory. And But what I'm doing here, again, is that that intersection again. It's the, um, the, the migrants' experience within the context of Australia's history. And, and acknowledging that. And I think it stems from a story. A lot of the poems stem from stories, but my dad did say, indeed, he did say that um, when he was getting ready, ready as, as a young guy to come here to Australia, he was fed propaganda. And he was so surprised that there were, we have an Aboriginal history. We have an, you know, a very important <laughs> history that, um, you know, we've... Um, We've entered the land, destroyed the land, destroyed the people. It's and and it's it's never been ceded. And Dad's found it hard to get to get around that concept with his own survival story. But he's also befriended Aborigines. Um, he, we had at one point when he had a shop, when Mum and Dad had this shop in Lonsdale Street, there was an Aboriginal family that used to come in, and we it, it was really good for Mum and Dad mm. to sort of open themselves up to another culture and the true culture. Uh, so, but I'm going back to the beginning here. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm hopefully saying something that I'm putting it in context, I hope, with this poem. So I'll read it and stop talking about it. Gostagi's Harvest Woes. The soil here bleeds too. The land buries itself in your nails. It wants to teach you about the First People and their culture. But we don't listen with our pellets and blood and bone. We bring the tools of toil for another soil with its stored memories. The shovel hurts the spirits who are the true keepers of the weather. The garlic is hollow. The zucchinis are small. The tomatoes won't grow. Each day you visit the garden like the migrant you are. 
you offer excuses of being fed propaganda before you arrived. The garden digs deep and yields food you won't stomach. You take off your gloves and plant your fingers to feel the pain. White soap washes the dirt, minerals, the remnants of rock. The red iron bark will grow stronger than your lemon tree. It will tower over your house and give you permission to stay. It's marvellous, isn't it, to feel that the land has um, autonomy and uh, volition and the capacity to welcome. Mm. Despite, yeah. despite yeah. the atrocities, I yes, suppose. That's I mean, right. if you read the history, the real, the true history, it's um, heartbreaking. It is. It is. And unacknowledged in conventional life. Mm. Uh, mm. We don't, it's not centre stage in uh, white Australia. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I love the soil here bleeds too. And the land buries itself in your nails. It wants to teach you about the first people and their culture. So it's it's. I love the way you've animated the land mm. and uh, and how it's the repository for all that history and uh, which is which is still a present, a live thing. It's not mm. a past thing. And it's uh, it, even though it stems and it's triggered by. Certainly, a story that my dad's told me. It, it also, um, I was a couple of my poems, or quite a few of my poems. They are also um, furthered, if you like, or improved by looking at art, visual art. And there was Vincent Van Gogh at one point before he was uh, before his death. He was um, fixated on peasants. And there's um, a wonderful um, painting of his that I have as a print and it's this man in trousers, I think with a fedora, look, 1950s, it's black and white, it's charcoal, I think, and he's just toiling in the ground um, for potatoes and I think it's called something Potato Farmer or something like that and it just, it really helped me to write this poem as well. Yeah. Ekphrastic. Ekphrastic, exactly. Yeah. And, okay, well, we might uh, move on to another one. So we've only got about four minutes left. So I really loved making lace, actually, which is... So maybe that... that a lot of the, the, um, the collection orbits around that poem. So it is, you know, that's why one of the poem... The, 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 the book is called An Embroidery of Old Maps and New, and in fact that's a line out of that poem. Yes, that's right. Um, it's a title poem. That that poem seems to sort of unfurl a lot of the themes that I'm dealing with, which is, you know, the the migrant journey, but more than that, I think the the, the labour, the embroidery making is connected to poetry making, is connected to ancestry and heritage and that we do carry our you know, grandparents um, in one way or another. Making lace. I see her as I see me, sitting on chairs before the impact of our craft, both intent on making a story from a sequence, a gift out of repetition. Her stitch is my letter, her design is my phrase. Thread weave through outs and in. She is framed by a mountainous fig tree, 
I have the hallway of wedding and christening photos. Her eyes meld to hands, to thread, to tsimbi, to glossy, to caterpillar turrets, to butterfly balconies, to geometrical dreamscapes of Venetian ladies, for Leonardo da Vinci to take to Rome, to robe the table for the last supper, to paint and adorn the Milan Cathedral. That is the myth from linen. She is the story on linen. No longer woman in small village sitting under a tree for days, months, years of thread weave throughout and in our skin, an embroidery of old maps and new. Lefkara, Larnaca, Girinya, Harcha, Riverwood, Bankstown, Lailor, Reservoir, thread weave throughout and in. She lives in each strand of cotton pearl, the white, brown and ecru. She makes houses, rivers, wells, trees, caves for secret lovers, lost children, dying soldiers. She peeks through gofti, through fairy windows, and sees me, letter by letter, crossing the keyboard, thread weave throughout and in. She sees her children's children not work in fields harvesting rotten crops, not work in factories making hard, rough, poisonous things, not work in shops selling dry, fried food. She sees a series of baby girls named after her dressed in white. She lives in the stroke of a foreign letter by letter word by word, thread weave throughout and in. Lovely. Yeah, well, again, it's a a marvellous metaphor for a whole range of of experiences and cultural transitions, uh, the lace making of your grandmother. Is it your grandmother? Yes. 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 Yeah, I mean, in the the book, uh, I'm playing with time as well, but there are certain characters that you meet if you like and uh, my grandmother is threaded throughout and you'll meet her at various points throughout the um the the book and she's um she becomes a character and 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 my mother as well is there yes they're both there yes well congratulations Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I've been talking to Angela Costi about her brand new book, An Embroidery of Old Maps and New, published by Spinifex Press. So thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Okay. And my name is Di Cousins and this is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. And we'll just go out with some music from the CD by Joseph Tawadros, The Bluebird, The Mystic and The Fool. Thank you.